Hello, my name is Martin, and welcome to the podcast. If you could like us on Facebook, on Instagram, and most importantly, share this podcast, that would be amazing. Welcome to episode three, where we will be talking about the ego. Now, I need to just be clear what I'm talking about here, as I have a little story discussing the ego in the past. A couple of years ago, I was talking to some students about the ego when I was teaching in Australia. I thought I'd start the lesson by asking, when I say the word ego, what do you immediately think of? A student raised her hand and said, they can be big. I agreed and said, yeah, we often hear the phrase, someone has a big ego. A second student raised her hand. They have large claws. I kind of hesitated on that one, but I didn't want to discourage the class. I said, okay, that's one I haven't heard before. A third student put their hand up and said, They've got mad, long feathers. At this point, the penny dropped that the class thought I was talking about eagles instead of egos. My students continued to mention eagles for a good six months after that. So to be clear, we're going to discuss egos, not large birds of prey. When we hear the word ego, we often think of someone who is arrogant or maybe quite full of themselves. Someone who is egotistical, maybe someone who we believe is quite selfish, not thinking about others but only themselves. If you begin to read some of the literature on human ego, it's perhaps more complicated than this. I'm going to try and summarise what some authors believe the ego is. Some people believe the ego is a powerful and delicate thing. It can be reactionary, sensitive, vengeful, spiteful, jealous, cunning and manipulative. Although we can't point to a single part of the brain responsible for the ego, it is a part of our minds that emerges and is very dependent on our emotions. The ego is something that most humans subconsciously create and become unwitting slaves to their entire lives. Books that I've read on the power of negative thoughts often always end up discussing the ego, although some authors have different names for it. In summary, most suggested the ego is a mental manifestation of your own sense of self. 
a false identity. Anything that attacks your ego, we believe is attacking us. The ego is invisible, however, it can take over our entire being if we allow it to. While on the outside, we may look like our own person, mentally, the ego may have commandeered your mind. And like all good parasites, we don't even know it's there. In the animal kingdom, I'm fascinated by parasitology. A parasite in most cases is an organism that lives off another organism, the host, and survives by extracting nutrients from the host. Now, bear with me as I go on a bit of a tangent regarding mice, cats and humans. To talk about parasites properly, I'm going to use an example that you may or may not have heard of called Toxoplasma gondii. Toxoplasma gondii is a single-celled parasite which has a complex life cycle which can also affect humans. The Toxoplasma parasite needs to infect not one, but two mammals to complete its life cycle. The first host, known as the intermediate host, are rodents, like rats or mice. And Toxoplasma is able to hijack their minds. Once ready to move on to its next stage in its life cycle, the parasite will instruct the mouse to do some rather unmouse-like things. Mainly to be caught and eaten by its worst nemesis, a cat, the parasite's final intended host, which we also call the definitive host. The parasite will convince the infected mouse to begin cleaning itself in rather obvious places out in the open, making it easier for potential predators to see him and eat him. It will also make the mouse, which is usually nocturnal, active at night, become diurnal, active during the day. Again, making it easier to be seen and caught. Perhaps the most extraordinary appropriation of the mouse's mind by the parasite is it will make the mouse actively seek out cats. Uninfected mice are quite rightly scared of cats. If they see a cat, they will hide. If they smell cat urine, the fear receptors in their brain are activated and they'll flee the area. Now, this makes sense. If I was in Africa and had the ability to smell a lion, I would definitely not want to stick around to find out where it was. 
Well, Toxoplasma gondii actually changes the brain and makes the mouse attracted to cat urine. Not only this, there's recordings of rats infected with the parasite attacking cats. The parasite needs the mouse to effectively commit suicide so it can be ingested by a cat. Once ingested, the parasite will infect the cat and begin reproducing. The whole cycle continues again. Now, you don't have to go too far to find a domesticated cat in most countries. So, it's perhaps unsurprising the parasite can complete its life cycle with relative ease in modern society. However, an unfortunate consequence of this is humans can contract Toxoplasma gondii. Humans, cats and rodents are all mammals. Mammals share a common ancestor about 65 million years ago, so we're similar enough that the parasite can infect all three. This is why pregnant women are told to avoid cat litter trays. If the parasite passes the placenta, it can affect the developing fetus and cause babies to be born prematurely. It can even impact a baby's eyes, nervous system, skin and ears. Human intestines are different from rodents, so Toxoplasma gondii eggs that are ingested will not complete its life cycle, but it can still do damage. Although most studies suggest adult humans infected with Toxoplasma gondii are asymptomatic, they don't exhibit any symptoms. Some studies have suggested the parasite can affect human behaviour. Particularly psychomotor performance, the coordination of sensory, cognitive and motor activity. Stanford University suggests people infected by Toxoplasma gondii are two and a half times more likely to be involved in car accidents and there is an association with Toxoplasma gondii infection and an increased risk of schizophrenia. Parasite that can control rodent behaviour can also impact human behaviour. So why am I talking about rodents, cats and humans? Well, this example hopefully illustrates that mind control is not something reserved for movies. It's happening right now among a variety of species, including humans. Some authors have suggested that our ego is a parasite. Ask yourself if animals are aware of parasites that they're infected with, and even if they were, what could they do about it? We've seen that parasites can be so powerful, they can actually influence whether an animal lives or dies. Your ego has been a part of you for a very long time. You have been adding to your identity ever since you were a toddler. Think about the terrible twos. The most powerful word a toddler can discover is their own name and the word no. If you think about the billions of neurons forming at this age, 
these words are strongly reinforced. Your parent might have food that you want to eat, and you point to yourself and say mine, or in my case, Martin's. Your parent might try and give you something not so great that you don't want, like broccoli. You'd turn your face up and say no. Now, you may not always get your way, however, from a young age we're already beginning to form a sort of proto-personality. It's not fully formed, but it will develop over time and be shaped by validation or rejections moving forward. These experiences temper and fine-tune who we think we are, what we like and don't like, what we put up with, and where we draw a line, when to get involved in an argument, or when to let it go. We also quickly understand what behaviour gains us the most favour, reward, and attention, which, during our formative years, is perhaps the most highly sought after commodity. All of these experiences build our ego and ultimately our sense of identity. In the first episode, I answered a question asking, how do you feel comfortable talking about your mind to a group of strangers? The real reason is that my ego is no longer in control. I no longer have an identity or a perception of who I am that I feel I need to protect. But unfortunately, this isn't the case with most of us living in the real world. The Toltec of South America call this the dream of the planet, or the Mitote, the fog of perception. Hindus call this Maya, or illusion. Don Miguel Ruiz begins his book The Four Agreements by describing a party. You're at this party, but everyone around you is drunk, and you are not. People are saying things to you, but you feel what they're saying isn't quite genuine. As you walk around, you begin to feel increasingly uneasy that everyone in the room except you isn't thinking clearly. He uses this as an analogy for most of our interactions on Earth, or what he calls the dream of the planet. He says, in fact, most people are living this way. Most of the time, we're not actually having conversations with other human beings, but other egos. It's a planet full of fragile egos trying to gain the upper hand. You will notice when you have a deep, authentic conversation with someone, you usually walk away feeling recharged and energised, versus a conversation with someone completely controlled by their ego, which can be quite exhausting. How can we limit the control of the ego on our lives? We can do a number of things. 
we'll explore some of these in more detail in future episodes. However, here are a few powerful things to think about. In the last episode, I mentioned watching your thoughts. This is perhaps the quickest way you can draw attention to thoughts pouring into your head. When you watch your thoughts, ask yourself if you wanted them in the first place, then choose if you want to react or not. When we do this, we begin to draw an awareness to our ego and what it is trying to do. An extension of this would be practicing meditation. In our busy modern lives, absolutely everything around us is vying for our attention. Notifications, emails, 24-7 news cycles, our social media feeds, adverts, etc. We may go days, weeks or even months without practicing true stillness. Mark out 20 minutes of your day to be still. Listen to some relaxing music or listen to a guided meditation and just concentrate on your breath. Some of the best advice I've heard for beginners was by Andy Puddicombe who narrates the documentary on meditation available on Netflix. He says when we meditate, it's as if we're on the side of a busy road and our thoughts are the traffic driving along the road in front of us. All we need to do is sit and simply watch the thoughts come and go. Don't attach anything to them, just watch the traffic. I'll end this episode by discussing the four agreements briefly because I've mentioned it quite a few times. However, we will go into this in more detail in the future. If you can live by these four agreements, you'll be free of your ego and no longer participating in the dream of the planet. The first agreement is be impeccable with your word. Speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. The second agreement is, don't take anything personally. Nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality. When you're immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. The third agreement, Don't make assumptions. Find courage 
to ask questions to express what you really want. Communicate with others as clearly as you can to avoid misunderstandings, sadness and drama. With just this one agreement, you can completely transform your life. The fourth agreement, always do your best. Your best is going to change from moment to moment. It will be different when you're healthy as opposed to sick. Under any circumstance, simply do your best and you will avoid self-judgment, self-abuse and regret. I understand that these four agreements are much easier said than done and even harder to master. However, if you can start today, then you can begin to truly transform your experience on this planet.